Wow. It certainly feels weird to speak into the mic again. What do you think, TJ? It really does. Season three has been a long time coming, but we're pretty excited and we think it'll be our best season yet. Yeah. No, guys, thank you for being patient with our creative sabbatical. Um, We were just we got a cabin in the woods together and we just had this cauldron of creative genius that we're so excited to unleash on season three, uh, which might be our swan song. I don't know. Yeah, we're both going on to some big, important things and mm-hmm. we'll see if it continues in the future. But for now, we're going to make this the best that we can. Yeah. Would you say that season three will be our magnum opus? Ooh, I would think our so. Our Beethoven's fifth. <laughs> our... Uh transformers five yeah (laughs) yeah i uh i think so and i'm I'm really excited to kick it off this week um with a very special seasonally appropriate episode uh what are we talking about tj we're going to be talking about spooky scary and everything in between paranormal activity haunted houses ghost stories scary movies you name it and it's very fitting because this is the first time we've ever recorded after dark so yeah i'm a little on edge right now i'm reading some of these stories i'm thinking i'm a little spooked out to be honest with you yeah sitting in the bathtub feels like uh we're <laughs> going to be attacked by the grudge or something yeah we might not be alone in this bathtub <laughs> <laughs> um and it was funny too i was driving home from the used car dealership and there was just this big fat halloween moon like you know like the the moon looks like almost like it's 1.5 times bigger and it's like a yellowy cheese color. Oh yeah. That you see in Halloween posters, like above a witch's house. That's what it looked <laughs> like tonight. So I think it's very fitting uh, to talk about tonight. Hopefully we get through this episode without any paranormal <laughs> interference yeah. or anything like that. Um, but yeah, guys, we're excited for season three um, and let's dive right in. so good to be back in the studio with you guys and we are so excited to talk about paranormal activity yeah not just the movies by the way but anything real life and fiction speaking of transformers 5 weren't there like six or seven paranormal activities there were there's definitely a lot and they all seem to be the same (laughs) and then there were like weren't there two like marlon wayans spoof movies about (laughs) those yeah yeah. (laughs) sometimes i like the spoof movies um like Scary Movie, or I think it's Paranormal Blacktivity. This is one of the Marlon Wayans spinoffs. But sometimes those are just even better movies overall, even though they're not scary. Yeah, because, I mean, and it's just easier to laugh than to be afraid, I think. Yeah, like horror and comedy, that's something that we can talk about, I guess, later when we get into movies. But they share a lot of the same um, elements, like kind of subverting expectations, things like Mm. that. That's why... Um, Jordan Peele, as, as he was a comedian, but he's become a very good horror director. Right. Didn't he direct Transformers 5 the last night? <laughs> um, I don't think that was. I think if he would, it would have been a much better movie. Or was he uh, Was he the guy behind Beverly Hills Chihuahua? <laughs> Maybe. I don't, I don't know. We'll have our fat guy check on that. Um, but I guess just maybe to jump in to sort of uh, dip our toe dip our toe in the haunted pool so to speak um what what is your relationship with scary stuff with scary stories maybe even halloween to a greater extent since it is the season yeah well halloween i was actually supposed to be born on halloween um yeah you're you're early november yeah so i was um but my birthday still is right around halloween and i've always grown up i've loved um watching scary movies and um things like that one particular thing I can remember is when I was about probably six or seven years old, um, my family, we had just watched The Ring. It was back like right around when it came out and we our home phone started ringing and my sister and I were alone like in one of the rooms oh, no. and then we picked it up and on the other end of the phone it said, seven days and we both screamed and ran to where our mom was in her bedroom and she had called us from her cell phone and she was <laughs> sitting there laughing 
so hard that she had just scared us. And we were like, Mom, that's not funny. Wait, and it's funny that, <laughs> that the woman you ran for comfort is the one tormenting you. <laughs> yes. But it was looking back, it was pretty funny. And um, I don't know, really I've funny. always really liked kind of the feeling of, oh, maybe being scared. I think it just like gets that adrenaline up. How about hmm. you? Complete opposite. <laughs> I, I never liked Halloween. Um, my parents would dress me up in all these monkey costumes and I would cry the whole time. Like apparently I was a clown and I could barely get through a cul-de-sac without bawling. So oh my I've always had a weird relationship with Halloween. Um, also with horror movies too. Like I just avoided them for the longest time. And then one of the first horror movies I watched was The Exorcist. Um, and I watched it alone on Halloween at my house in the dark <laughs> and I was so freaking scared afterwards. I, I called my friend Shrag. I'm like, Shrag, you need to pick me up. I cannot be in this house <laughs> all dear, by yourself. Goodness. After. Yeah. I cannot be in this house anymore. Oh my gosh. Um, so I mean, I think, but for a while I, I was afraid to be afraid of horror movies, but then I started watching them. And for the most part, I don't, didn't really have visceral reactions like i watched like nightmare on elm street friday the 13th um the baba duke that was more of like a dread movie mm -hmm. um but never they were just never really my cup of tea if i were if i'm gonna sit down and watch a movie i don't really need to be scared i don't know um oh and i guess in high school i went to the haunted hoochie and i, I was actually <laughs> <What's that? laughs> okay so the haunted hoochie is is a columbus haunt um it's for mostly probably high school age teenagers to bring their girlfriends to um but it's basically like a haunted corn maze you wait in line for a really long time to go through a scary house and but there's also like fun fall things like 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 um just like pumpkin haystacks you can stuff. yeah pumpkin patch haystacks you can play in warm apple cider live bee nests um, <laughs> oh, stuff the, like that you know family friendly stuff family for the friendly kids stuff, right um and i remember i took a girl uh, we weren't dating yet, uh, but we went through the haunted house, and she held my hand for the first time. So, oh, there we go. See Halloween bringing people together, right? Even, uh, even um, speaking of spooky, um, I know we talk a lot about the Columbus Zoo and aquarium. <laughs> oh <here>. yeah, uh, <laughs> Zombiezy Bay. Yeah, yeah, yep. Why would season three be any different? I went to Zombiezy Bay with my sister, um, and it was actually pretty cool. Like, it almost seemed as though the water park that I knew and loved was overtaken by sinister forces. Uh, oh I man. I didn't recognize that there was a, you walk in and there's this big sign on the, a slide that says, welcome to Zombiezy Bay. And there's like a bloody handprint. And I'm like, this isn't the place I remember. <laughs> I was like, mom, what happened to this place? This isn't the place I used to work. Some, yeah, some <laughs> evil forces taking control of, <laughs> of this Columbus water park staple. Um, all the animals, they're zombie versions, like yeah. Scooby-Doo, Safari. <laughs> zombie <Halloween>. Binturong. <laughs> zombie Galagoo. Zombie uh, Markor. You guys probably don't know any of those animals. It's okay. Look them up. They're really cool. Um, but it was actually pretty cool. There were like people dressed up as zombies walking around going, and like screaming. And my does, that, does that kind of subtract from the zoo experience then well i guess i feel like if you're going to zombiezy bay you're going for the haunted house part uh -huh. and not really for the zoo part so but i feel like if somebody was going like want to see the animals and then some zombies going in their ear oh oh okay <laughs> no, you you think they're gonna scare them out of conservation <laughs> <laughs> yeah they say hey whoa i don't like this that much well it's zombiezy bay has different hours than the zoo so zombiezy bay opens pretty much at dusk and it's oh, okay. at the water park so you don't really see any animals um, but yeah, there's like gas, there's like zombies and it was like pretty fun. Um, a lot of the haunted houses were sponsored by Mountain Dew, which is really funny. Interesting. I think I saw that on the website actually. Yeah. There was one called eternal darkness where you couldn't see anything. Um, and my, my, my mom and my sister basically pushed me through in front, like, so that I would receive all the scary things. But it's funny because most of the people work there are like girls in high school so I was like taller than all of them. So it was really my sister that got screamed Some, at. Sometimes that's the scarier thing, though. Like haunted and creepy little kids. Those those make some of the like the scarier movies, in my opinion. There was one. It was really funny. I, it was I was in this haunted house called Catacombs. It's like vampire theme, and there was this zombie following my sister. And I was like, "Hey, you need to back it up, buddy." I was like, <laughs> "I was like, back up, Jack." And then I come around the corner, and this vampire girl jumps out. And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, ah! 
<laughs> it was like the most I'd screamed, and it was like probably the least scary of the haunted houses. But he just oh, uh, just because you were surprised. Yeah, and then she got me twice. She got me again, but I was like, my sister thought it was funny. He's like, hey, you need to back up, pal. And then not expecting the vampire girl around the corner. Um, so I don't know. Like I'll go to haunted houses and. But that's more or less my experience with Halloween. Yeah, I haven't um I haven't been to haunted houses in a while, but I remember back in middle school, one of uh my friends, his family ran like a haunted house back oh. near my home. So they did um or they did a whole big like haunted house thing that they ran um for a couple months in the fall and it was really cool and then a lot of like so his older brother and his friends and different like people they would work there like the high school age kids and stuff and so that was really cool to be able to go there and but then again you're walking around you're like oh hey that's my buddy <laughs> like yeah he's, he's just working the vampire costume <laughs> working hard hardly working eh, dracula <laughs> um yeah i kind of know what you mean did you ever lose your appetite at costume parties Co like what do you mean like if you go to a halloween party oh does yeah. it ever make you not hungry like there's food served, but you're just not hungry because um, either people's costumes are grotesque or you smell like the costume smell. That's I gross. would say I would say more of like the costume. I can think of it now, like even just like the fog machine sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's just not like, it's just sometimes it's not the best for food consumption. Yeah, it's like a cacophony of, of food of appetite deterrence, <laughs> like whether it's old costume smell or fog machines. Or yeah, just or the looking or the, at things that would make you lose your appetite like a zombie yeah, or the blood. foods that are. Some of them I think are really cool presentation wise, like maybe like a brain cake or yeah. a, like a blood punch or something like that. But sometimes there's like you look at them, you're like, well, finger. I really like it for the artistic perspective. But looking at it as like, oh, yes, do I really want to eat this? Sometimes it, not the best. Yeah, it only deters you from wanting to eat it because like, oh, well, this resembles a human finger, a severed human finger. Like that's like... <laughs> I don't know. That's only going to make me want to eat it less than if it were the same ingredients that didn't look like a human finger. The only factor is it looks like something that's revolting. Yeah. Have you seen the the picture of um, it's a bunch of hamburger shaped into some feet and it says, hey, you haven't touched your feet loaf. <laughs> no, that's funny. I, I feel like that would go good at a haunted house party. Dang. Well, before we uh, before we get into our haunted houses and paranormal stories, you want to just run through maybe your two favorite Halloween costumes? Um, yeah, so I think my, one of my, my favorite Halloween costumes that I've ever been was, um, last year I dressed up as, um, Fat Thor from Avengers Endgame. I remember we went to Big I, Bar together. Yeah, <laughs> I went, uh, I went, I, I got second place in the Cazuela's costume competition and <laughs> got a, a nice free shirt and the $25 gift card. So I was pretty proud of that with the long hair and the, the pillow shoved up my shirt. It was a great <laughs> costume. And then I think my next favorite would be when I was a kid, um, my dad made me this T-Rex costume out of cardboard and, um, and then, and fabric that he like sewed and everything, like made uh -huh. me my own T-Rex costume. And it was awesome. It was like the coolest costume ever. I remember. Oh, that's sick. How about you? I would say I was a flying pig in middle school. <laughs> which what I did was I wore a pink shirt and then I got, I, I ordered a pink hat online and taped two wings to it. Um, so that was fun. Um, and then I just never like, after like, I mean, I was like Clifford or like Scooby-Doo when I was younger, but, or a clown or pee in a pod. But I remember I started treating Halloween more as a joke near later. Like mm -hmm. one year I just wrote on a white t-shirt nudist on strike. So uh, yeah. That was, that was my costume for that. And then another year, uh, in college, I wanted to be Chance the Rapper at uh, the Coop Halloween party. So I just, that's a house that I, on the street that I lived on. I just taped a three. To, a oh, I, rem and... I remember. <laughs> I remember that costume. It's a great costume. Um, but sweet. So um, now that we got a base, I think it's time to go into some spooky stories. Uh, but first, I think we're going to get a quick ad reading from one of our guests in studio. Thank you for listening to the season premiere of Bathtub Full of Questions. This episode is sponsored by Seinfeld, Season 3. Jerry and the gang get up to a lot of fun times. In stores now. Ah! 
All right, now that we're back from the break, let's get into some spooky stories. So, probably the best place to start is the beginning. Um, Something cool about scary stories, and particularly ghost stories, is that they have existed throughout cultures um, all around the world throughout the centuries. Seems Um, like everybody likes to be a little bit scared, but in the safety of their own home. Spooky is universal, it seems. Um, yeah, every 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 culture, even ancient cultures, have their own iterations of ghost stories. Um, whether it's the ancient Chinese or the Romans or medieval medieval Europe, there's there's stories throughout the centuries. Um, just to start with one that I thought was particularly interesting. So this is written by a Roman senator named Pliny the Younger. Um, he wrote about this Roman statesman named uh, Athenodorus. So apparently this guy, Athenodorus, um, rented out this old house. Uh, I think it was, it was probably, it was the height of the Roman Empire. So it was between, he lived around, actually around the time Jesus was alive. Um, he rented out this old house. And apparently uh, one of the first nights he was there, he saw this old man, the ghostly appearance of this old man wearing chains rattling around. Um, and what's kind of funny about the story is that, uh, Apparently, Athenodorus was a, was a big-time Stoic philosopher, was always writing. The ghost beckons uh, Athenodorus to follow him, and he tells the ghost to wait because he has to finish writing. So, <laughs> Classic. Athenodorus finishes writing, um, is then beckoned by um, the ghost, follows him into a courtyard, and then um, disappears. So what Athenodorus does is that he marks the spot where the ghost disappears. Um, the next day, he digs, he digs there, finds a body, gives it a proper burial um and then the ghost apparently never haunted that place again interesting seems that is uh more along the lines of kind of a, a spirit that wants to be to be put to rest rather than cause harm yeah as, as we exactly. hear in a lot of other ghost stories yeah so that was uh he plenty the elder wrote that around 100 ad around like probably the first century so Really long time ago, height of the Roman Empire. Apparently, the first poltergeist story, uh, which I didn't know that I didn't know what the definition of a poltergeist was, but a poltergeist is a ghost that can interact with the physical world, mm-hmm. cause things to happen. Apparently, the first recorded story in history was in 856 AD, and it was at a farmhouse in Germany. Apparently, there was this family that lived there that uh, was terrorized by this poltergeist that threw stones, started fires, uh, and terrorized the local family. So, I thought that was interesting. Maybe he set the farmhouse on fire. I don't know. Um, hey, wouldn't put it past them. He can interact with the physical. Yeah, right? Um, so just to sort of run through a few more historical examples, um, there's the very pop there's the very popular uh, Scottish myth in the Scottish Moors of the wailing banshee. Mm, um, yeah. It's this mournful woman who who at, at night in the dead of in the dead of night in the moors, the like the creepy moors of Scotland, if you hear the sound of the banshee, it means someone you love is about to die. Um, so that's been a myth that's been perpetuated through Scottish culture uh, for centuries. Um, I think, um, I don't know if it was, maybe not Scotland, but it might be England. Um, similar, like, ancient story of, like, a, a giant black dog that people would see, like, in the fog, like, at the, in the late at night. Oh, the Hound would, uh, of Baskervilles? Um, maybe that's the proper name. I don't know. That's but, the name of a Sherlock Holmes novel, but there is this legend. Yeah, I knew it was Sherlock Holmes, but there's a legend, I guess, or scary story that I'm talking about, like, a, they would see a black dog and they wouldn't know if it was, like, a protective black dog or uh, leading them to their death or whatever. Yeah, guys, stay away from the moors. That's something <laughs> to learn right away. Um, this place, that place is creepy. Um, but it's funny you bring up England. There's another story about, um, her name was Annie Bolin. He was the oh, second wife. Anne Boleyn. Yeah. He's the second wife of Henry the V-I-I-I. The eighth. The Anne eighth. Bo- yeah. Okay. Um, apparently Anne Boleyn was the mother of Queen Elizabeth, and she was executed in the Tower of London in May in May 1536. Beheaded. Yeah, beheaded after being accused of rich, witchcraft. Um, and she apparently haunts the tower to this day. Um, just crazy. To go to Latin America, there's the uh there's this myth of La Llorona who was this mother who, in a fit of anger, at having seen her husband cheat on her, drowns her children, um, and then drowns herself. 
um, and is seen wandering the street, is wandering in purgatory, longing to be reunited with her drowning children, typically asking people, have, have they seen her children? Um, so that's sort of a, a Latin American take. And, and to go a little American, um, <laughs> we have our own ghost stories here. Uh, apparently, um, Ben Franklin can be seen, the ghost of Ben Franklin can be seen in Philadelphia with uh, with reportedly his statue coming alive and interacting with people every so often. Like, like in Night at the Museum? Yeah, like more <laughs> of a de demonic Night at oh. the Museum, like statue possession. But yeah. Um, and then Abraham Lincoln is apparently seen near the old Springfield Capitol building. Interesting. Um, and apparently at the, at, um, at, in, um, in Abraham Lincoln's day, there was this famous uh, spirit photographer who uh, basically he was debunked, but he would take pictures and then go like spirits or ghosts would be found in the background of dead relatives. Um, and he got invited to the White House by uh, Mary Todd after Lincoln's death, took a photo of Mary Todd and apparently Lincoln's ghost can be seen in it. So um, just a little American spook. Um, but yeah, those are sort of some of the like uh, more historical ghost stories. Yeah. Um, those are very interesting some of the ones that I have are more, I guess, in the pop pop culture world. Um, I don't know. I would assume that many of you have probably listened to these. Um, but uh, some of the favorite ones of mine and my friends are the scary stories to tell in the dark. Have mm. you ever heard? Have you heard of those? Yeah, I have. There's the uh, they the recorded versions. One are some of them are scary. Some of them are more funny. Like one of our favorites the big toe <laughs> um but they're a collection of stories um that were written back in i don't remember if it was the 1960s or the 1980s um yeah 1960s i think um and they just kind of they're for children more so but some of them um even to this day are kind of classics like uh, the man with the hook for a hand who attacks oh, who attacks a couple in oh, yeah. their uh, hash slinging slasher. The hash slinging <laughs> slasher, the mash bringing, trash slinging. Oh, at night. Yeah, but according to podcast, <laughs> at night. Classic, uh, classic horror stories are always are always good, and they bring to light like everybody, no matter what, like whether it's on a campfire, whether it's at a sleepover. Um, they always want to like listen to something scary, like just to, I don't know, put them on edge or spook their friends. But those are some of our, like my favorite things to, uh, I don't know when you're like sitting around a campfire telling stories, it's pretty great. Yeah. And they sort of tap into some like primal fears. Like there's always a story about someone driving home alone at night and seeing like a spectral hitchhiker in the middle of the road or, or even like there's there's a very popular American myth that if you like bury a box of bones at the crossroads, you can meet the devil and he'll oh yeah he'll that's um, how that famous blues guitarist got his uh, guitar skills yeah Robert Johnson that, yeah. apparently he was like uh, like the the myth is that he was hunted down by hellhounds um, he died really young um, mm -hmm. but he wrote about some of his songs were about like hellhounds chasing him and like it deals with the devil so it's really interesting but that that's like been a part of um, American spectral folklore for probably a hundred years now. Yeah. It always seems that there's a tie between uh, the otherworldly um, and particularly like the devil or things like that and music, or I guess certain types of music. Like when is, the, like when the devil went, went down, down to Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> he was looking for a soul to steal. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I think, I think there's just something that I guess maybe just both invoke spirit and emotion in such a way that, they would be naturally intertwined. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I love those more modern examples. Uh, to give a more modern example of a scary story, um, this is about a haunted Elsa doll. Oh, um, that is from the hit Dis From the hit Disney movie, Pick or the hit Disney movie, Frozen. Um, apparently, there was an Elsa doll that was given at a family household in Houston the Christmas of 2013 um, that has apparently been reported to be haunted. Uh, so the doll... Uh, was basically supposed to re recite lines from Frozen when its necklace was pressed. I um, mean, it did that for two years in English. But after the two years, it started to alternate between Spanish and English. Um, and the family, there was no button to change this. There's no, like, factory setting to do that on. So it was just totally random. Um, 
They owned the doll for six years and never once changed the battery. Um, apparently, the doll would come on. The doll would come on <clears throat> randomly and even speak when switched off. Um, so apparently, the family, after owning it for six years, threw it away in 2019. And apparently, this is no joke. Weeks later, uh, when they came home, it was found on a bench in their living room. Oh, those those ones are always creepy when it's the the creepy doll that comes back or a haunted piece of furniture or something like that. Right. And then apparently uh, it, I, then it only spoke Spanish. So after that, the family decided to double bag it with trash cans, with trash bags, put it at the bottom of the trash and send it out the day of trash day. Um, they apparently went on a family vacation and came back and found her in the backyard. Um, so yikes. Yeah, at that point you wonder <laughs> if it's their friend playing a joke on them. Right. I don't know. I mean, like, like the friend who would follow the garbage truck and then I don't know. I feel like it would take a lot. Or just get a different Elsa doll. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and that's the funny thing too, is like you you know you usually imagine like some cracked porcelain Victorian doll. <laughs> yeah. But this is like like a popular <laughs> Disney character that's like possessed by evil forces. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was uh that was really, really recent. Um Yeah, and some of the other ones that I have, like some of the most famous um ghost stories are those that were investigated by ed and lorraine warren um if you know them from things such as the amityville horror the conjuring haunting connecticut um they were this couple of what they said themselves to be kind of like paranormal investigators clairvoyant psychics right whatever you want to say like um obsessed with trying to talk to or help families um, with things that happen, um, like from the other side. Hmm. And so, yeah, like some of the ones I mentioned, like the Amityville horror haunting Connecticut, um, and stuff like that, they have really strong ties to not necessarily people, but to locations. Right. And that's something I think that we want to dive into is just the different, um, haunted locations and kind of what makes them and what the allure is to them. Because some people would be like, oh my gosh, all these terrible things happen. Like, oh, five different families were murdered in this house and it's said to be possessed or different things like that. But people always want to go and investigate it. And the people who own them, they buy them for multiple millions of dollars sometimes just because of the names associated with the place. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I think like haunted houses have always hold, held a very popular lore in the American conscience. Yeah, like um, haunted haunted houses in the sense of like an actual house that is haunted, not like the Halloween. Oh, yeah, exactly. So I've got a really cool one. Um, it's called the Hotel Monte Vista in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, and this hotel has been haunted for close to a hundred years. The ho- it was a community hotel that opened in 1927. Um, And it sort of became a hotbed for a lot of really dark stuff like uh, opium den, speakeasies, gambling, like really illicit activity. Um, And guests who stayed there throughout the years have really noticed some paranormal things. Um, Apparently, guests who stayed in room 220 have experienced uh, TV changing channels of its own accord. Uh, Some said they felt cold hands touching them in their sleep. Mm. Um, And apparently, it's been reported that there's a phantom bellboy who knocks on doors and announces room service. But when the guest answers the door, um, there's no one there. Um, and apparently probably the most disturbing of the encounters, uh, which, I mean, some of these stories are going to be a little graphic, um, just, just as sort of a trigger warning. Um, but uh, the hotel staff will sometimes hear infant cry, infant like baby crying in the basement. Um, and the, apparently the staff have, have like run downstairs to look for something and been alarmed looking for baby and found nothing. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, just a freaky place. Dang. Yeah. The, um, one place that I would want, or one of the places I want to talk about is the actual Amityville horror house and what, what is supposed to have happened there. Um, so in 1974, um, the 23 year old, Butch or Ronald Butch DeFeo, um, he murdered his entire family in the house. And so that's what kind of sparked, um, I guess, the start of this paranormal activity. 
Um, and then the next family that moved in, George and Kathy Lutz and their children, um, they claim to have seen a bunch of paranormal stuff happen, such as green slime oozing from the walls. Um, multiple the walls will ooze <laughs> green slime! <laughs> multiple family members levitating in their beds, um, creatures with red eyes. Staring and, into the house. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, so that um, kind of, then that was what caught attention of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And then this, it then inspired a book in 1977, the 1979 movie, um, and then a couple remakes as well. And so th those kind of haunted places have just kind of a grip for years to come. Yeah. People will always want to, because especially when you don't find out what is actually happening or if there is no scientific explanation, people will continue to be interested in it. Um, and you can make as many movies as you want about it. Yeah. No, I, and, and Amity, it's hard to find a more famous story than Amityville Horror. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's just been a kind of a pop culture icon for a long time. Yeah. Um, and sort of just to, to talk about another West Coast haunted hotel. Um, this is sort of a fusion of a ghost story and a haunted house. Um, but I'm going to talk about the Cecil Hotel in, in Los Angeles, um, a place with a dubious history. Um, there was this girl. This is another. Apparently, 2013 was also a haunted year because there's another. That's the year that the Elsa doll was bought, and there's another <laughs> scary thing that happened. So it's 2013 in West Coast hotels that seem to be hotbeds for the sinister. Yeah. Um, Eliza Lamb uh, was apparently last seen January 31st, 2013. Uh, she was vacationing on the West Coast and stayed at the Cecil Hotel. Um, she would call her parents every day, but on the 31st, uh, the call stopped and Lamb vanished. Um, and what's really disturbing is that there's video footage of Lamb right before her disappearance. And it shows her in the elevator talking to invisible people, appearing around the corner of the door, crouching in the corner and opening and closing the elevator door. Um, so just really weird stuff. Um, and then around the time that she disappeared, weird stuff happened, started happening to the water. Like people would turn it on and black water would come out at first. But then after that, the water would still smell awful. Uh, so the police began a full-blown investigation. And on February 19th, uh, the police investigated a locked water storage tank and found Lamb's decomposing body inside Ooh. Um, with her personal effects just outside. Um, and the really freaky thing is that um, apparently there is there is security and there, there's a security code and alarm that goes off every time you go to the roof. So it's really not they really have no idea how she would have ended up there, especially in a locked water storage container. Um, and, and apparently this hotel has a pretty horrible history um, that. Apparently, Night Stalker Richard Ramirez, who was responsible for 14 mur murders, uh, stayed there. Um, apparently, international serial killer Jack Unterweger uh, killed three prostitutes during his stay there. Um, and in 1963, a female guest committed suicide by jumping out of a window. Um, so, yeah, it's just really dark stuff. Jeez, yeah. A lot of this stuff, whether it is paranormal or not, is just still just scary in general. Like, yeah. Like you talked, like touched on serial killers. To, to me, when I like hear a scary story um, and it has to deal with like ghosts and different things like that, um, I'm not as, I guess, affected by that as I am about things like scary stories about stalkers or yeah. serial yeah. killers, things like that. Like, like people Ed, like, like, yeah, like Ed Ginn. Who um, would wear, who he would like make skin suits out of his victims yeah. and dance around the garden at night. And yeah, like inspired his mother. Inspired the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Um, and like even Jack the Ripper, like yeah, killed one of the known oldest for, serial killers, and it, never never found out who it was. Same with the Zodiac, um, things like and those kind of things where it is just it's scary to see that that kind of stuff exists in human beings. Um, yeah, that the dark, yeah, that darkness is there. Um. Because even with Jack, to mention on Jack the Ripper, he killed, I think it was five, five prostitutes in the east end of London. Um, it was one of the biggest cities of the world at the time, but it was a really run down area. Um, and there's this really, uh, a lot of people tried to fake being Jack the Ripper, but the man who was leading the investigation at the time, Jack the Ripper wrote this letter. It's called The Letter from Hell. Um, and it just talks, like it basically is taunting the police how um, they've never caught him, how he killed this one woman and ate her spleen. Um, just really dark stuff. Um and he was obviously the first really known serial killer. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you're right. There's something way more unsettling about something placed in reality than 
Yeah. Um, maybe just sort of like, like you said, stories to tell in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like another one to talk about, like, um, so also in Los Angeles, um, there was this, um, this Bavarian style home in Beverly Hills that has a gruesome history. Is this the one that's featured in American Horror Story? I don't know. Or am I thinking of a different one? Maybe you can like hear the description and then tell me uh, if, if it rings any bells. Uh, but apparently in 1932, it was the home of iconic act. So this is a little horror in Hollywood. Um, it was the, it was home to the iconic astro- ast- actress Jean Harlow and her abusive husband, Paul Byrne. Um, and apparently uh, Paul Byrne shot himself in the head while standing in front of the mirror. Um, their butler called, discovered him and called MGM instead of the police. Um, so there are a lot of rumors that it wasn't suicide. Um and um, Gene moved out a few days, a uh, few di- moved out after his death, but died a few days later or a few years later at the age of 26. Um, and what gets creepier is that um, in 1963, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring bought the home and moved in with his girlfriend, Sharon Tate. As you know, uh, Sharon Tate was a victim of the gruesome Manson family murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stayed there with Jay Sebring until Sharon Tate moved out. Uh, to live with Roman Polanski. Um, but apparently while the couple lived in their house, uh, Tate only told a few of her friends that there were a lot of creepy occurrences in the home. Um, for example, when once she was sleeping in the master bedroom, she saw a creepy little man. Um, her friend said she believed that it was Paul Byrne's ghost. She was so freaked out that when she saw the alleged ghost, she ran out of the hallway and apparently saw a hanging shadowy corpse with its throat slit in the hallway. Um, and apparently two people died by the swimming pool. Um, so, yeah, just a really, really creepy place. Um, uh, I was thinking of the Rosenheim Mansion. Um, thank you, uh, Dana, for looking that up. Thanks, our fact, yeah, fact, our fa- person, our fact person. Um, but, yeah, so Rosenheim Mansion is also in California, but it's commonly known as Murder House. I don't know if you any of you guys have seen um, American Horror Story, but it's one of the I think it is the first season of American Horror Story. Um, but in there, they've got just so many different things that happen within the show, but also then in real life, um, there's a lot of so it's a it is a real place, hmm. um, and so it is just kind of interesting that they would use that house. Well, not interesting. I guess it would make sense mm-hmm. that they would use a real haunted house to right. film a scary show. That's interesting. Um, I've never gotten around to American Horror Story. Something that just seems a little eerie about it. Yeah, some <laughs> I I've, I haven't watched it all. Some of it is definitely I think better than others, but um, yeah, I guess getting into um, we'll dive into scary movies and kind of horror in the media. Um, into the next segment okay great um just maybe just like maybe a few more just to wrap up before we go to our mid-show break um but apparently uh to go to the other side to go from la to new york to do a little cross-country journey um there uh the dakota which is a very famous apartment building um that and it's it's a very famous apartment building that's been home to many rich residents since it opened in 1884 it's actually uh where john lennon and Yoko Ono lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually the building that John Lennon was assassinated outside of on December 8th, 1980. Oh. Um, but apparently before his death, John claimed that he saw a crying lady ghost roaming the halls of the Dakota apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after John died, Yoko, who still lived in the building, said she witnessed John's ghost sitting at his piano. Uh, Yoko says John told her, don't be afraid. I'm still with you. Um, so, well, that's kind of a nice story then. Yeah, it's a nicer, I mean, <laughs> nice, that, nicer that pretty I gruesome guess. <laughs> about like seeing shadowy, scary, like seeing shadowy, gruesome images. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, one more to kind of hit on. Um, this is actually kind of fun. It's a little more fun. Um, there's this one ghost that apparently haunts Abbeville, Alabama, and her name is Huggin' Molly. Hugging Molly. Hugging Molly. Um, apparently, she walks, roams the street at night looking for unsuspecting victims. And then once she fixates on someone, she hugs the person and screams loudly into their ears. Um, so it's more of like a story to keep kids in line, it seems. Um, uh. <laughs> but a real-life story, um, it's called the CCTV Ghost. Um, the Hampton Court Palace in Surrey, England, 
uh, has a photogenic ghost of its own, according to LiveScience.com. Um, in 2003, a CCT camera caught this sort of skeleton ghost. You can look up the picture of the CCT ghost. It looks like this skeleton-y, long-fingered ghost. Um, it's sort of coming out of a fire door that it flung open. Um, the ghost got nicknamed Skeletor, which is really funny. Um, and what's interesting is that the security staff that day thought they were seeing things. Um, and that a visitor wrote in the palace, palace's visitor book that day um, that she had thought she'd seen a ghost. So Interesting. Um, but apparently this, this place is haunted with a lot of other stuff. There's the Hampton, it's called the Hampton court palace. And apparently Catherine Howard, another one of Henry VIII's wives was in prison there and, and apparently dragged her room screaming. Uh, so they called it screaming out. So they call it the screaming gallery area that's haunted. So hmm. that's, oh, I guess one more that I forgot about was kind of really close to home here. Um, the Ohio State Reformatory in oh, Mansfield. Yeah. Always bring uh, it home. Yeah, <laughs> always bring it home. But former uh, former reformatory in prison in Mansfield. Um, it was used as the backdrop for the Shawshank Redemption as well as um, a couple other movies. And one of the things that happened there was after a huge prison riot, then a bunch of people were sent to the hole or solitary confinement, and they were – starved and not not let out and not given any food for a very long time hmm. and so in there they went mad basically and just kind of went insane as they were starving mm -hmm. nearly death and, and so it said that their ghosts still haunt the reformatory to this day hmm. that's another thing we didn't touch on was haunted prisons like alcatraz oh, is a pretty yeah. classic <laughs> example mm -hmm. there's yeah there's a lot i think prisons just have this uh kind of feel them it's like oh there's probably so many people that have died in there and some of like or the most torment, torture yeah, yeah the torment. most tormented people whether it's they're tormented um in their own minds um like or by what they've done and everything right so that's uh that's makes prisons like a hotbed for being and, and mental institutions as well for places that are yeah that's the asylums Apparently, if you go to Alcatraz, sometimes if you're lucky, you can hear spectral banjo music playing in uh, Al Capone's old cell. So, oh, did he play the banjo? I don't know. <laughs> That's what it just said online. Seems more like a harmonica don't, guy to me. Yeah, don't quote me on that. Um, but great. Now that we've uh, traversed and discussed ghost stories throughout the centuries and all around the world, um, I think it'd be cool to go to the mid-show break and then sort of talk about horror Yeah, movie. in the media. Because, you know, as we are... Two, two favorite things to talk about are movies, media, and uh, conservation. conservation. So we've already hit on both. We, <laughs> we already hit on one. We might as well hit on the other one. Um, so, yeah, we'll go to the break. We'll see you back real soon. All right, guys. Welcome to the mid-show break. Season 3 premiere. We are so excited. Um, and just in the spirit of excitement and all things new, uh, we're going to introduce a brand new segment called National Audubon Society Birds of the Week. Oh, yeah. We hope you guys are ready. We've, so We've picked out two amazing birds for you guys. All right. Uh, I'll get us started here. I'll, it'll be my bird of the week. Um, my bird of the week is the Atlantic Puffin. Uh, so the Atlantic Puffin is are roughly 30 centimeters tall. Uh, they're a short, stocky bird um, known for their black and white coloration. Um their voice is a very deep, throaty purr and croak. Um, their habitat is chiefly rocky coasts, um, and their nesting consists of one white egg in a burrow in soft soil or a rock crevice. Uh, their range is from uh, the Canadian Maritimes south to Maine uh, and winters offshore near nesting colonies. Um, so, yeah, that's my bird of the week, the Atlantic Puffin. Look it up. Uh, it's a beautiful bird. Uh, it's a diving bird. Um, they hunt for their food small fish, shellfish, and shrimp in rocky coastal waters and also at sea. So what a bird that was. Thank you, TJ. Why don't you, I would love to hear what uh, your National Audubon Society Bird of the Week is. Yeah, so my Bird of the Week is the common snipe, Galinago Galinago. <laughs> hey, it is a great bird. Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. It's good science. Yeah. The common snipe is about 27 centimeters tall or long. A long-billed brownish shorebird with striped head and back, white belly, and rust in its tail. Usually seen when flushed from the edge of a marsh or a pond, they fly fast and very erratically. 
They lay usually four olive brown eggs spotted with black concealed in a grassland depression and a grass tussock in a marsh. These are some real marshy fellas. They, uh, they like to live in freshwater marshes, ponds, meadows, um, and they don't really like salt marshes that much, but they will live there. Although the common snipe generally migrates and flocks at night, during the day the birds scatter and usually feed alone. They seek food early in the morning and in the late afternoon. These birds have a variety of calls heard only on the breeding ground, and they perform a spectacular aerial territorial display in which the feathers of the tail produce an eerie whistling sound. Wow. And guys, I have the pleasure. Uh, we've actually got some of the bird sounds here in studio that we're going to play for you. So uh, the Atlantic Puffin, also known as Fraticula artica, um, we've got the call to Puffin right here. So listen in, you bird lovers. We are going on oh, a family that, vacation. That is not the bird call. Oh, so what bird is that? Verbo, another one of our sponsors. It sounds like they got a bad grade on their math test. <laughs> yeah, they're not as intelligent as their cousin the Arctic. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's their southern cousins. Wow, what a gorgeous bird. You guys got to look this up. Rocky shorebirds. And we also have the pleasure of having the common snipe sound, uh, the singing male, in studio as well. So listen up. What a gorgeous bird. Wow. Wow. To have that, this feels so close to nature in studio, just really remarkable. Those, man, are, those, those are quite some birds, I would say. Man, I think, na I think National Audubon Society Bird of the Week is my favorite part of the of, of the whole week. Of the whole week. I can't think of anything better. Great. So, guys, remember, common snipe, Atlantic puffin. Donate to conservation efforts worldwide. Birds are important. Um, and without further ado, I think we're going to kick it back to uh, talking our discussion about paranormal activities and particularly horror movies. So, just stay tuned. Oh, thank you. All right. Let's get into one of my favorite topics is movies and media like i guess movies and television <laughs> that are uh, that deal with paranormal and scary stuff so as i mentioned earlier they're one of my favorite genres um but i guess in over the years they've kind of tailed off as one of my favorites because once you've seen so many scary movies uh, you feel like you've seen it all especially <laughs> modern yeah especially modern ones like and there are so many reboots. I mean, right before we were recording today, I was watching. I saw that Halloween was playing on TV, so I turned it on. I was like, oh, maybe it's the original. Nope, it's the 2018 remake, Ugh. which is like the 20th in the Halloween series or something <laughs> yeah. like that. It's – um, and, and where would you like date? Would you like go all the way back? Like talking about the span of horror movies, would you go all the way, all the way back to like the Universal Monsters? Like oh, Frankenstein. Like, like Dracula. Dracula. Frankenstein's Bride. Yeah. Night of the Living Dead. Like, Yeah, there's like – there's always those classic monsters that exist. And I think that they'll always have a space in like media, like no matter what. Like everybody wants to – see a vampire story or uh something like that but they need to be told in a different way or from a new light to make it feel like it's actually something new yeah um and honestly i think i think there's something uniquely unsettling about the old universal monster movies like my dad is not like horror movies um but he'll watch those old universal monster movies that are like on uh like uh like amc oh, or, you yeah. know or um but honestly, i don't like watching them there's, there's like a there's like a reality to them that and like I don't know that, and there's like a darkness and a reality to them like whether it's old Frankenstein or mm -hmm. Dracula um, there's something unsettling about the dating and like also I think thinking about how the actors have passed away and are presenting like presenting this horror reality yeah I think there's something strange and unique and sort of like a little unsettling about all that yeah because you can have some like somebody portray a character that such as like, Oh, an undead Dracula. And now that actor or actress is 
now past themselves. Yeah. We are kind of seeing them deliver this scary experience, but almost from beyond their own grave. Yeah, exactly. And now they're subject to whatever, like whatever version of the afterlife they're presenting. <laughs> um, at yeah. least just more emotionally and literally like, like figuratively, obviously. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you have got mo universal monsters, black and white. And then, you know, sort of like the 60s, 70s and 80s. Yeah, when like a real, lot of like slasher films. Yeah, definitely. the definition of modern horror was starting to come. So maybe you like, do you have any thoughts on? Like, yeah, that sort of so era? like, like you've got there, you've got Jason, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers. 13th, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street, Halloween. Yeah, so you've got all these people that kind of, it was like, the birth of like the slasher horror genre, uh -huh. um, which is kind of just kind of a killer that it was, they were usually pretty, pretty gory. Yeah. Um, in a sense. And like, it's just something that no matter what you think you can beat, you can beat the killer, but you can't, like, no matter what they're going to yeah. be back. They're <laughs> going to be back for the reboot. No matter if they burn, drown, are trapped at the bottom of a lake. Yeah. Anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Like Jason. Yeah. It's crazy. I watched the first Friday the 13th. Jason is not even in it. Really? It's, it's oh, his, yeah. That's it's, right. his, it's his, um, what's his word? It's his uh, disgruntled grandma who yeah. wants revenge on the camp staff for letting her grandson drown. That's right. Um, also, I remember watching Nightmare on Elm Street and when Johnny Depp gets sucked into the bed and it like, have you seen it before? Yep, and yeah. like shoots the blood and like and just like found the blood into the ceiling. Uh -huh. Like, oh, like to be haunted, like to not even be able to go to sleep because of yeah, uh, like a deformed, burned, like slasher claw monster. Edward scissor hands is. <laughs> or like Scary Terry and Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah. Scary Terry. Um, yeah, there's, there's something, yeah, there's something unsettling. And, and also like, I think the fact that I think practical effects are just really effective for me. Maybe that's why I think mm. Nightmare on Elm Street or um, like like or Day, Night of the Living Dead or Bram Stoker's Dracula is something that's just like for yeah. me is more real about it and unsettling. Mm -hmm. Even stuff like The Blob where like, yeah. you heard of The Blob, like it's just this giant pink cube that rolls <laughs> through town and dissolves people. Mm -hmm. But you like watch people claw and like their faces dissolve. And yeah, I think realist, like realistic effects like that really like like in in action movies and stuff like you you need like the cgi and right. different things to make that really pop but on the other side i think in a horror movie you really need that more realistic effect to really get a hold of people otherwise yeah. you just dismiss it totally as oh this is fake but yeah. if you can get something that looks even though it might be cheesy kind of if it looks more real then it's going to have a lot different effect on people yeah yeah and, oh you go <laughs> no no you go <laughs> oh well i was gonna talk about i guess it's like another um series that has gone on that i think is pretty good over at least like throughout like the first couple um the scream series have you seen uh, that like i the, i've not never i i haven't seen the tv series but i guess the like the um what would it be I don't even know how many there are, so you can't even call it a trilogy. Anthology. Or, an, oh, yeah, anthology would be the right mm -hmm. word. But, um, yeah, like the screen like with the ghost face killer that um, yeah. inspired the – well, that inspired the scary movie anthology. Right, well, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ha like two great things rose up. One caused <laughs> the other, yin and yang. Um, yeah. Which is funny, too, because I was thinking about this. I think most of the 90s were probably a low for horror. Like, yeah, I can't think I can of really think many of famous like, 90s movies outside of like near the end when Scream, mm -hmm. I Know What You Did Last Summer, yeah, um, some of those other ones. But that was late 90s. I, like mm -hmm. thinking about middle 90s, I can't think of any really. Yeah, I feel like it was like 70s, 80s, and then just kind of a gap in horror and then 90s. Um, like there was like the... They were the, too hip hop. There was too... <laughs> yeah. But then... Bill Clinton said no, no scary. No, no scary movies. <laughs> but yeah, then the 90s came and it kind of changed a little bit. It still had like the slasher elements. But I think it was there was like some more subversion where it's not the same like person, I guess. It's a like a somebody that's stepping into the role of mm -hmm. like I guess Scream as like the ghost face killer. Um like it it was always somebody different mm -hmm. um that was just taking on the mantle, whether it was like a relative or a copycat or something like that. Um, but then in earlier it was just this kind of like unstoppable force that right. is coming after you. And I think it's an interesting transition in horror. I, I, 
I've not seen, like, I'm not no student in horror film history by any means, but you sort of see into the 90s and the 2000s and transition to more grounding in reality. Mm-hmm. Like, Scream was just a guy, right? He wasn't yeah, like, he was just a guy. He was just a killer. Like, he was just a serial killer. Um, you know, like, I guess paranormal activity, but that, those are just recordings of a house, you know? Uh-huh. So, yeah. and I think there's somebody said about um, just the effects of a lot of stuff that was going on in the early 2000s, like 9-11, um, like, people were being worried about, like, anthrax mm-hmm. um t- the rise of the war on terror really made kids grow up and you, you sort of see this whole shift in in movie culture because the 90s were really fun and poppy and but you see to s- sort of see a transition to more grounding in reality and a more seriousness that was born out of a tumultuous time um and i think i think the horror films genre was no exception to that um really after the 2000s you really see everything is more based in reality it's not mm-hmm. some like weird looking green slasher man who lives in your or red slasher man who lives in your dreams it's more like oh our our suburban house is haunted or oh there's an actual serial killer that's out on the loose out on the loose like i don't know it's just interesting to think about yeah that's an interesting point that you make there that really does make sense and yeah and i think and i think some of these and like going forward even now into i guess like the later 2000s or 2010s even into yeah. now we're seeing more um evolutions in horror like i think me growing up i had seen so many scary movies that i just kind of started to get i guess bored of them like i know um me and my good friend rafe we would always go every time there's a new scary movie out and we'd go watch it but then we'd be like sitting there. creepers <laughs> yeah we well we didn't see but we with justin long <laughs> yeah we did. We watched that one not in theaters though. Early two thousands <laughs> icon Justin Long gets his eyes ripped out. Yeah, but we we would go and it, but it got to the point that every time we would like elbow each other and be like, basically like, oh look out! Here's like the scary thing is like, yeah. oh did you notice that thing that they don't really want people to notice in the corner or whatever? Yeah. And so then, but I think two directors, one I mentioned earlier that I have really enjoyed their um, horror films. And I think they're doing some things a little bit different. Are Jordan Peele um, yep. with Us and oh my goodness, Get Out, Get Out was his kind of his breakthrough. And then um, Ari Aster with Hereditary and Midsummer. Yeah, those are really good. I don't know if you've seen those. I have. I've um, I've seen Get Out. That's the only one I've seen. But I, I've heard stuff about Midsummer. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too. Like you raise a good point. Like. It's almost like the 2000s is a more transition to reality. And then I think the 2010s was sort of a shifting of focus on dread rather than jump scare. Because mm-hmm. that had sort of been fleshed jump, out. Yeah, you jump know? scare can, can get really old. And, like, it has its place in, like, the dread type of movies. But you really, in kind of these newer ones, you, they have it really build so so much to this point where you're, like, yeah. you're almost sitting there yourself and you're nervous because you don't really know what's going to happen like you're not you're not getting that i guess payoff is what it would be with like the build up to the jump scare and it's not it's not happening all the time throughout yep. the movie it's happening towards the end if at all and like with dread it's more when you turn the movie off the feeling's still there like mm-hmm. i think one of the most unsettling movies I ever saw was the baba duke have you ever seen that oh yeah uh, like where that is a very slow movie a lot of the horror is just seeing her laying in bed and seeing a ghost or a shadowy figure in the corner. And like, there's, I mean, there's one or two jump scares, but for the most part, it's this, it's this unsettling building of, of creeping around the corner of presence mm-hmm. and or an exploration, an exploration of grief and the concept of grief too. Like it's, it's that movie that will, you'll turn it off and you'll be afraid to be left alone in the dark or to like go to bed. Cause it'll be in your mind. It's, it's sort of, cause jump scares are very cathartic. Like, ah, okay. That's all right. <laughs> uh, yep. But sort of this this conceptual, shadowy, sinister, unsettling dread of like thinking about the concepts of something and seeing something in the corner that's creeping like that's I think that's more deeply unsettling than maybe just getting spooked or getting shouted at. Um, yeah. And like the Baba Duke, and I think Get Out is a similar way where mm-hmm. that's that's a very unsettling movie with not a lot of jump scares, but just a real like sort of creepy unsettling theme and and um I've, I've not seen us or um either of those ones but for when i when i get there more slow burns long drawn out 
mm-hmm, yeah. really terrifying concepts, dread sort of inducing movies. Yeah, and I think that really kind of defines the definition, I guess, personally, between like a thriller type of movie and a horror uh-huh. type of movie where horror is that more kind of drawn out, like really makes you kind of think in depth rather than the thriller that gets your heart racing and scares you in that way. Another one that I watched, we we ended up buying it at Walmart one time, kind of like late at night. We we're like, oh, this looks like it could be a scary movie. It was the Danish film. It was in Danish and we were like, oh, well, I guess we'll watch it. But it was called Goodnight Mommy. Uh-huh. And that one throughout the whole movie, we were kind of like, oh, this is kind of, we're a little bit like, oh, this is kind of dumb. Like, it's not really that scary. And then in probably like the final third or final fourth of the film, it was just insane. Like the juxtaposition huh. um, from the first part of it where we were like, oh my goodness, this totally isn't what we thought it was. And it really, at the end, just kind of left you like pretty heavy. And you're like, mm. oh my goodness. Yeah, the heaviness. That's a good thing to note. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just think, I think way more our experience has been like the human experience is way more dread than it is jump scare thriller because mm-hmm. you have moments where your heart's pounding, but it's more like driving alone, home alone and in a dark road and, and just the creeping thoughts of what if something's out here yeah. or like being alone in your room in the dark and seeing something move in the shadow and not sure if you should get up or not and wondering mm-hmm. what that could be or hearing a noise. Like it's not so much scare, but it's more dread. Um, and even to bring it into reality more, I, f- I forgot to mention this in experiences, but uh, like, I did an, uh, part of my freshman experience at Ohio State was doing an oval ghost tour. Um, and I, like there was this one story about there was this black handprint on a pillar. Um, and apparently a girl who was in an arts college got trapped in an elevator over the weekend, scratched on the walls, went insane, went to an insane sign, came back, got hit by a bus or first day oh. on campus and the hand reappeared. If you touch it like bad, it's apparently bad luck or bad things happen where you'll lose your job or yeah, trip and fail break all your, your classes. I've always seen that there on that pillar and always been like, oh yeah, I'll go put my hand. But then I, <laughs> then I was like, you know what? Andrew told me about the ghost story too. too <laughs> took, and I was like, eh, maybe I won't do that. Yeah, maybe I'll just play it safe. I'm, I'm yeah. too superstitious. Um, being a Christian man, um, not that Christians are superstitious, but just believing in spiritual realities. Um, I don't want to tempt with stuff like that. Um, also, like they're like storage, um, they're like storage facility. Like there's like a like in the oval, there's these like um, I don't even know how to call them. They're like sort of tunnels. The tunnels underneath the oval that we've definitely never been. Yeah, to. we've never been there because that wouldn't be wrong. Yeah, um, that would be highly. That would be bad. <laughs> um, but um, apparently. Ted Bundy, famous Ohio State alumni. Or Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Oh, I always get those two mixed up. You're right. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer, who lived in Lincoln Tower, kept one of his victims. And apparently it's the only victim who escaped yeah. alive. Um, some other stories. And just grounding it in Ohio State in reality made me just walk through the oval with a little more pep. Especially <laughs> yeah. at night. I'm like, hmm. hmm interesting. This, this is a hub of spectral activity that I don't need to. I don't yeah. need to see anything. <laughs> I, I got enough nightmares. Yeah. Well, and interesting you talked on um kind of like that like the dread of like laying in your bed and like oh maybe there's something scary happening um whether it's outside or in your closet or under your bed that kind of like thought that gets in your head there's been studies done by um psychologists and therapists that have not for everybody but for some people it can actually be a great deal to help with their anxiety or nervousness to watch scary movies um obviously not anything like extremely scary i wouldn't think but at varying levels of kind of that thriller type or like where it gets your heart rate up Mm -hmm. but having them be in control whether to pause the movie or turn it off because then that can help them feel like they have more control over the stresses and things that cause them anxiety in their own life and in Mm -hmm. real life so i think that was that was a pretty cool thing that I read that was just giving people control over this thing, this media that is like fake or I don't know, it could be based on a true story or whatever, but giving them control over them taking in this stressor can help them believe um, and take control of the stress in their own life. Yeah. That's interesting. Like um, it being, like it's almost a way to con- an exertion of control over fear. 
Like mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um, and that having its own psychological benefits. Yeah. Um, and like some people, they chase that, they chase that kind of like adrenaline rush mm-hmm. by doing things like skydiving or cliff jumping and things like that. And you've, and who would skydive? <laughs> who would ever? Who would ever on this that podcast kind of skydive? Yeah. yeah, neither of us for sure. <laughs> but yeah, like you always hear about those people who, oh, after they've done a sky or if they skydive a lot or they do these things, they're pretty calm individuals. Otherwise, because yeah. their their heart rate doesn't elevate that much during certain things because they've had that adrenaline rush before, like almost to the most extreme level you can get. So smaller things don't affect them. And I think it would be the similar um, vein as the adrenaline rush that people get from a scary movie. And then when they're not watching the scary movie, then it is kind of a toned down version of that. Yeah, I know. Like some people, some people need to, um, some people need to jump out of a plane. Other people need to spend a night at home and watch uh, Scared Shrekless, <laughs> um, Shrek's Halloween special to really get the get the or stress the, and the anxiety out. The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah, oh, I mean, scary. Yeah, but yeah, and then, but yeah, just just also saying, like, scary movies—they're not for everybody. It takes um, either some getting used to, or just some like, you know. Some people, it's just not for them. And there's definitely a lot of other genres of film um, that to dive into. But yeah, I think that we've talked about some really good stuff about scary movies and kind of our favorites, our uh, like dislikes, I guess, of like when things get old. But yeah, I think we had a really good discussion uh, on scary movies. We hope that you guys learned a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe uh, just just look around before you turn the light off. Um, yeah. Before you let yourself drift off your sleep, because there might be something in the corner. Oh, what was that? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. I don't know if I want to go to bed, TJ. I know it's like it's getting kind of late here. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Well, I might. I think I have got a trip to Zombiezy Bay right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had a nine thirty appointment for <laughs> a nine thirty Latin time at Zombiezy Bay. Um, but yeah, guys. Uh, happy Halloween. Uh, welcome to season three. Uh, just stay t- toasted for more content. Um, and have a very spooky night. Ooh. Watch out.